Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi everyone and welcome to My Millennium Money Medical. My name's Dev Raga and I'm your host and in this episode we'll go through the concept of a recession, which has been in the minds of a lot of people at the moment, particularly in the media. I'm recording this episode in October 2022. By the time this airs, it's likely other countries and maybe even Australia has entered or entering into a recession. So I thought it's really important for us to understand this concept and how it affects the individual investor and customer, including me. Let's get started. If you want me to discuss a specific topic, or if you have a specific question, don't hesitate to contact me via Twitter or via Facebook. And for those of you that are new to the channel, remember the three main aims, education, empowerment, and entertainment. Now, before we go on and explore this concept of a recession, we need to understand the business cycle. So what is a business cycle? Now, people often say everything goes in cycles or everything happens in cycles. What does that exactly mean? Well, it turns out that businesses and their expansion and contraction also happen in cycles. And there are four stages of a business cycle. Number one, expansion. Number two, peaking. Number three, contraction. And number four, trough. A business cycle contributes to the economic cycle. And the business cycle essentially reflects the fluctuations in the economic output, which we term as GDP, or gross domestic product. Let's go through each stage of the business cycle to learn more about them, which may provide clues to the formation of a recession. Number one, expansion. In this phase, businesses expand driven by rise in consumer demand. Households buy more goods and services. This results in businesses working extra hard to meet that demand. And this results in hiring more workers to meet that extra demand and typically wages and prices of products and services rise. And often this can happen over a period of months to years and eventually, like all other things, this stage will start peaking. Which leads to the next stage, which is peaking. This is when the expansion phase is peaking for various businesses. Remember, we're talking about the economic activity as a whole, as various businesses and customers represent the economy as a whole. Business productivity peaks, consumer demand peaks. Now there are various factors why this happens and why this peaks. The third stage is contraction. This is when the economy starts to retract, but that's more of an end result. Consumers have less demand for goods and services, and this means businesses have lower outputs, start to shed workers, wages and prices usually drop, and as a result, business activity contracts. And this reflects in the whole economic activity and therefore the whole economy also starts to contract. The fourth stage is trough. This is the opposite of the peaking stage. The business activity bottoms out, and as consumer demand stays low, and demand for goods and services also stays low. Now, each stage of the business cycle can vary in the length of time that it lasts. And typically, the expansion phase is longer than the contraction phase. 
At each stage, there will be and there should be policy responses, usually from governments, and this may alter the trajectory of the stages and the business cycle in general. And if you look at the business cycle graph, and you may want to Google this, a recession sits on the contraction side of the cycle and a depression sits in the trough stage of the business cycle. In the United States since World War II, the average business cycle lasts around 5.5 years. Now that we know what a business cycle is and the stages of it, let's go on and learn about recessions. So what is a recession? I used to think a recession is two consecutive quarters of economic activity, which is in the negative. Now, this is actually not exactly true. And it's just one definition of a recession floated by the media all the time. And what I've since realized is that it's all about the definitions. There are various definitions depending on who you talk to and which source you access. Notice despite widespread thoughts that America has entered into a recession, and again, I'm recording this in October 2022, Biden's White House and the government declined to mention anything about it because it's politically disadvantageous for them to do so. Why would they want to admit it if trying to get re-elected in 2024? Now, I suspect by the time this episode is aired, the midterms in the US are well and truly done, and it'd be interesting to see who wins those elections. So let's go through the various definitions associated with the recession. Definition one is a recession is defined as weak outputs and rising unemployment rates. This means that GDP output declines and employment rises. This is usually over a period of time and it's sustained. And usually household spending is lower and business investment is also lower. This makes sense because households contract their spending, the demand for goods and services also reduces. So businesses don't need to be more productive to meet the demand as there is literally no demand. Of course, if businesses are not being productive, it means they need to stay afloat. And how do they do that? by reducing costs. How do they reduce costs? Shedding workers. Shedding workers means rising unemployment. And this means less spending on the economy because unemployed people can't spend as much money as employed people, which is a cycle of less demand for business and less demand for goods and services. So it eventually may mean the businesses have to close down. They can't afford to stay open. They'll start defaulting on their loans. Then it becomes a domino effect. And generally speaking, people look at the unemployment rate as one of the earliest predictors of an economic recession. Definition two is technical recession. This is when there's two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. Now, this is probably the most common definition used in the media. Generally speaking, most advanced economies have a recession every seven to 10 years. And prior to 2022, Australia has not had a recession for 29 years one of the longest periods of economic growth in the world. One of the major criticisms of this definition, though, is it needs the GDP to be negative. But GDP need not be negative, but can still be relatively weak to make unemployment to rise, which could lead to worsening economic outcomes. Now, false signals can also occur as the components of the GDP are volatile and the things can be revised all the time and often are. What about this concept called GDP per capita, and how does it factor into the recession talking points? Now, this takes into account the population of the country, because absolute numbers can lie. So some economists would only consider GDP per capita to calculate for recessions or depressions. Then we also have this GDP per capita, PPP, which is purchasing power parity, which accounts for international currency variations, especially bringing it in line back to the USD. 
Now I've discussed about this concept previously in one of my recent episodes. So let's look at some statistics. The global GDP is around 85 trillion US dollars. The United States has about 20 trillion dollars in GDP. China is second at 14 trillion. Japan is third at 5 trillion. Germany is at 3.8 trillion. UK is 2.78 trillion. And India is at 2.7 trillion. That caps out the top six economies of the world. But these don't tell the whole story. They're just nominal figures. So let's have a look at it when you take into account the population of each of these countries. The USA is at 61,000. China is at 10,000 per head. Japan is 40,000. Germany is 46,000. UK is 40,000. And India is 2,000. Now, where does Australia sit with all this? Australia's total GDP is actually pretty good. We're at 1.5 trillion. That's sitting at around 13th nominally in the world. And GDP per capita is $51,851. Notice how now Australia is well above Japan at 40,000, well above Germany, which was 46,000, well above UK, which was also 40,000, and well above China and India. China was 10,000 and India was 2,000. So again, GDP nominally doesn't tell you the whole story. Definition three of a recession is the NBER definition, which is the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is actually a research institution in the United States who have their own definition of a recession. They say it's the period between the peak and the trough in the business cycle graph. Now, there necessarily doesn't have to be a negative GDP growth. Definition four is when you take unemployment as a sole predictor and indicator of a recession. It's easy, it's simple, and it's reproducible. Is there a situation with unemployment where actually it's not rising, but underemployment is rising, therefore data becomes missed? Yep, that most definitely can happen, which is one of the deficiencies of this definition. Ultimately, the point I'm trying to make is recessions are viewed differently depending on which vantage point you're sitting on and which resource you read. Like all things in life, truth is probably somewhere in the middle amongst all these definitions. Now, the next step is a depression. This is basically a worse version of a recession where it can usually last for years and years and years. But there has to be some effect across multiple economies as a recession hits other countries too. And depressions also do the same thing. So this includes high unemployment rates across multiple economies. Let's discuss some specific examples of recessions locally in Australia. Number one is 1974 to 75. Now I've discussed this in previous episodes where the issue uh, where stagflation happened during this period. Australia wasn't immune to that. It was a global phenomenon. And basically global oil prices rose. And this was because of the oil embargo and there was a supply chain shock and the rise in oil prices means the cost of goods and services rose to consumers. Couple that with higher inflation and higher unemployment rate, it meant that consumer spending reduced and this caused a recession. Unemployment during this time peaked at 5.5% in Australia and inflation peaked at 18%. Number two is 1982 and 83. As the world was coming out of the high inflationary periods, central banks tightened their monetary policy. Remember, monetary policy involves setting of interest rates. As interest rates rose, this created a recessionary environment. The added pressure in Australia was the unprecedented drought. And towards the mid-80s, we broke out. The AUD was floated in the open market and the economy started to expand again. During this recessionary time of 82 to 83, the unemployment peaked at 10.5%, which would be such a disaster now. As I'm recording this in October, uh, unemployment is not that bad. 
and in inflation is not that bad in Australia, about 6 to 7%. During the 82-83 period, unemployment peaked to 10.5% and inflation was sky high. Number three is the great 91-92, the famous Paul Keating, the recession we had to have. The commercial property was booming, domestic demand was a lot, so monetary policy was being utilised to raise interest rates to dampen the growth. The United States also entered recession, which didn't help Australia. Our economies are closely linked. And during this period, the unemployment peaked at 11.5%. It'd be insane if that happened today. Number four is the famous global financial crisis of 2008. Now, this is not really a recession that Australia had to have. In fact, we sort of avoided it. Um, This was created mainly in the US by the banking sector, lending money to people who couldn't afford it, unsurprisingly led to defaults, jobs were lost, money was lost, and the global financial system was on the brink of collapse. And of course, corporations got bailed out. Then that led to tighter lending restrictions. But having said all this, Australia came out of this relatively unscathed because of China, the mining boom, the macroeconomic stimulus policy. Uh, thanks, Kevin07, for the free money in the bank. I remember receiving my, I think it was $700 or $800 in the bank, which I, of course, um, spent it all on investments. Uh, the Australian GDP only marginally declined in one quarter and unemployment peaked at only 6%. Now, I remember this quite vividly. Um, I was a junior resident or, yeah, I would have been junior resident at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Shout out to all the listeners that are working at the RMH. I was doing a cardiothoracic uh, rotation. Actually, I might have been a registrar. I can't remember now. And the surgeons were absolutely panicking um, because they'd lost money in the great GFC crisis in the American markets. The superannuation was going down and, you know, uh, it's it's probably not, <laughs> probably patients listening to this, probably not a great idea finding out that the surgeon was really upset. The share market or the superannuation uh, funds had actually crashed uh, just before they crack open your chest. But um, I can confirm no patient suffered or endured any complications as a result of the surgeon's financial stress. But I, but I do remember that particular rotation particularly well. Um, so if you're doing cardiothoracics at the moment at the RMH, uh, shout out to you. Number five is 2020, COVID-19. Now remember, mandatory lockdowns meant economic activity simply grinded to a halt. This was a global phenomenon. And in June quarter 2020, Australian GDP retracted by 7%. Unemployment peaked at 7.5% in 2020. And there was unprecedented fiscal and monetary policy stimulus by the federal government and central banks, namely the Reserve Bank of Australia. So those are the five sort of recent history recessions that Australia has had um, in the last sort of 40 odd years. Now we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll discuss the causes of recessions and also going to the long-term effects of recessions, including how it affects you as a personal investor. Be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back. Let's get on with some of the causes of recessions. The general principle behind recessions are that the aggregate demand for products and services drops. So you've got to keep this in mind when we discuss some concepts moving forward in this episode, okay? So we discuss that. The aggregate demand for products and services drops. That's the thing that you need to understand about recessions. So what are some of the causes? Number one, over-pessimism in the economy. People have simply lost confidence in the economy. They start buying things. They massively reduce their spending. They're pessimistic about their jobs and investments. The results are less demand for business goods and services. Sales are slow. Uh, businesses make less profits. They hire less people and they start sacking people or shedding jobs. And of course, as a result, unemployment rates rise and people have less money to spend. And therefore, uh, that sort of you know has a spiraling effect and causes the recession. Number two is higher interest rates. Now, Australia obviously has had a higher interest rate environment over the last sort of 12 months or so. So this would be interesting by the time this airs whether Australia does end up um, entering into a recession. But essentially, when interest rates rise, liquidity drops. Uh, this makes sense, right? Because think of all the mortgage rate rises we've had this year so far. The more rises means we have less money left over to spend, and we know spending drives the economy. And if we spend less, the economy suffers. So it's a feedback loop. And the RBA um, has been using monetary policy to try and steer the economy as much as possible and try and reduce inflation. But at the time of recording uh, this episode, the RBA rates are around 2.35% from memory. Almost certainly by the time this airs, we're going to be up in the 3%. I'll be very surprised if not uh, of the cash rate. And uh, at the start of this year in 2022, the cash rate was just 0.1%. So we're now at 2.35%. And by the time this airs, I'm pretty confident we're going to be in the threes. Um, it'd be interesting to see what it is. Number three is the stock market bear market. The bear market is in the stocks can create a recession because it's a domino effect. If businesses are not doing well because consumers are not spending, this will inadvertently lead to pessimism in the markets, which then drops significantly. Uh, think about what's happened this year. So far this year, we're very close to a bear market. Uh, again, at the time of recording in October, this means business capital is drained not great overall for the economy because businesses need to spend and invest money and they need to be able to borrow money. And if they're not doing that, then they're not expanding. So again, it's a feedback loop. Number four is home value crashes. And this was the basis of the global financial crisis, particularly overseas. Uh, didn't really happen much in Australia. Home values didn't decline but very much. In fact, they've significantly expanded since then. Uh, in America, when people couldn't pay their mortgage repayments, um, banks had to repossess, then try and reclaim their monies by selling the property. Now, we know supply and demand economics, right? If more and more people default on their loans, then there's way too much property in the market, which means supply increases, means prices drop. People have more choice. Add to this investment banks creating complex financial instruments, which were solely based on the underlying value of the homes, then we're set for an epic disaster, as what happened in the GFC. Number five, deregulation can often lead to recessions. 
Now, although this may be directly, you know, you know, it's a bit controversial. Some people say it doesn't directly lead to a recession, but I think it does. But it's often a symptom which can manage into a full-blown disease. Uh, so you've got to be really careful about deregulation. Regulation is vital in some industries to ensure people play by the rules and people do this largely for the benefit of society. Without regulation, it's literally free-for-all. Now, imagine if healthcare, right? I mean, most of the listeners are healthcare workers. We have a significant portion who are not. But, you know, if doctors, nurses and other health workers, if we didn't have to do things solely for the benefit of patients and we were allowed to do harmful things on purposes to the patients without any accountability on purpose, if you're allowed to do that, now, no matter how much conspiracy you read or watch about it, this sort of thing simply doesn't happen. People don't go to healthcare as healthcare workers specifically to cause harm. It just doesn't happen. It's incredibly rare. There are inadvertent adverse effects as a result uh, of medical procedures or treatment cycles, but it's inadvertent. I mean, no one ever wants to do any harm to patients. No matter what you read in your newsfeed, it's just rubbish. Why? Why doesn't it happen on a large scale? Because we actually have regulation in the healthcare industry and we have safeguards against us. Everything from hiring doctors and nurses and other health workers, from credentialing them to making sure they're actually real doctors and real nurses. Yes, there's been one or two that slipped the cracks over the years, but it's incredibly rare. Every treatment gets audited. There's mortality and morbidity meetings, there's learning cycles, there's performance development reviews. You know, the chances of it happening on a broader scale where people purposely and negligently cause harm to patients as a result of their practice on purpose is extremely rare because the healthcare industry is extremely regulated. And so it should be. I'm a doctor. So I want to make sure that my patients know that their doctor is credentialed, is actually a doctor, actually does proper training and follows clinical guidelines and does professional development courses every single year. We have strict regulation on how to do that. We have to submit it to our college um, to make sure that's all accredited. So that's what regulation does. Number six is wage price controls. This happened during the Nixon era in the 70s in the United States. Nixon mandatorily froze wages for many industries and their workers in the 70s. And this meant that companies couldn't reduce wages to stay afloat. So what did they do? They instead laid off workers. Of course, with workers also being consumers, demand for goods and services fell, and therefore further affecting businesses. And this caused an economic slowdown. The very thing Nixon did contributed adversely to the GDP in the US economy. And I discussed this specifically in the episode 247 called What is Stagflation? Number seven is bubbles. When they burst, you're going to have a recession. Now, I've discussed financial bubbles in episode 209. Basically, when asset bubbles burst in more assets than just one class, then the stage is set for a massive recession to follow. Number eight is deflation can lead to recessions, right? I mean, remember, inflation means prices of goods and services rise over time. A 2% inflation is considered good because it means money now is worth more than money later on. The purchasing power of money decreases over time. Why is that a good thing? Because this encourages people to spend more money now because they're going to get more value for their money today than if they hoard it and spend it later. And of course, spending money drives economic activity. I've talked about this time and time again. It's a feedback loop and spending money is a good thing because it drives the economy. But in deflation, prices of goods and services become less expensive over time. 
Now, this is bad because people will wait to spend their money because their purchasing power increases with time. Their money buys more things later on, which is the opposite of inflation. And when this happens, it means people don't spend money now, they wait for later. But of course, without spending money now, we have a problem and economic activity stagnates. That leads to recessions. Those are the main causes of recessions. And most of the time, it's multifactorial. It's not just one thing. It's, it's, it's multifactorial and, you know, it's a combination of rising interest rates, rising unemployment, business cycle suffering, deregulation, prices of property coming down, stock market also coming down. And one thing leads to another and that leads to pessimism. And of course, the whole thing sort of collapses. Now, do recessions have long-term effects? And the short answer is yes, they do. The number one concern in a recession is underemployment and unemployment. And this leads to reduced work skills. The longer this happens, the longer the recession is, and it encourages structural changes. For example, if you don't have a mechanic job for a long time, then the need for mechanics dwindles over time because technology tends to solve this problem. And this means people suffer, there's economic hardship, usually such hardships are born across society with various groups being affected disproportionately. That can lead to long-term health consequences, uh, you know, mental health, the people can't afford health care, then the health suffers, and social mobility suffers, and the opportunity for someone to better themselves diminishes. All of this can lead to reduced tax revenue for the government, who now has more people on welfare than before, which means they have more expenses. Now, the government and central banks has to find a way to revive the economy and kickstart the economy. And this means governments may need to borrow more money to pay for welfare schemes. And of course, that comes with debt and that means interest payments. And we all know how this goes. Fiscal policy, spend more money. Monetary policy, make money cheaper. Tax cuts, which supposedly drives the economy, but I'm relatively sceptical about that in general because I don't think there's much evidence for it if done for the top marginal tax rates. But if you do it across the board, uh, maybe that has an impact. So that's recessions and depressions and the causes of recessions, etc. What can you do to save yourself during a recession or maybe prepare yourself for one Here are some of the things that you can do. You as in the listener, you as in the investor, you as in the consumer. Number one is you've got to have emergency funds. Having a sound emergency fund is really important. Make sure you use it only for emergencies and it sits in the bank account ready to go. An emergency fund is not to be invested. I get asked this quite a lot surprisingly, saying that their money is not earning a return. That's not what the function of an emergency fund is. It's for emergencies. Number two is you've got to spend less than you earn. I know this is not rocket science. If you spend everything you earn, then you won't have a margin of safety and a buffer zone. Uh, Again, it sounds like common sense, but you'll be surprised how many people I speak to who simply don't do this step at all or don't do it well. Number three is you've got to diversify your income streams. Now, generally speaking, I'll have about seven or eight streams of income because I think gone are the days you can rely on a reliable single source of income. I think nowadays you kind of generally need two or three sources of income. So make sure you're thinking about how to diversify your income streams. And this way, if one source dries up from an income perspective, you have something else which can still pay the bills. In the healthcare industry, it's really common for people to have multiple jobs at multiple locations. And of course, this also helps improve their cash flow situation. Number four is you have to keep investing. Now, the number of times I get messages about the market crashing and things going haywire and they're really worried, I get really nervous because I get nervous that these people are watching the TV and watching the market. Remember, 
if you are a relatively young person, 30s, 40s even, sometimes early 50s, and you're thinking about, you know, everything kind of reducing uh, in value, it's okay. Because think about it like this. You're going shopping to Coles. You want to buy your favourite chocolate bar, which my favourite one is Cadbury's Hazelnut. I love it. And now they have a sticker on it which says the same Cadbury Hazelnut. You get a two-for-one deal. What do you do? Do you walk out and come back when the price goes back up again? Or do you just buy two-for-one? You would be mad not to take up that deal. That's what the investment markets are all about. So during a market drop and recession, as long as you have a regular stream of income, make sure you don't stop investing. All this volatility, all this negativity, all this pessimism, use it to your advantage. Market downturns are a gift and that's when money is to be made. I cannot stress this enough. Ignore the noise, ignore the volatility, ignore the markets, just keep investing. Number five is don't muck around with your investments. It's really tempting to do something when the markets are low and pessimism is in the air. Just don't do anything. Vanguard founder, Jack Bogle, who's no more, famously said, just stand there. Don't do anything. You don't have to tinker with your investments. It's surprisingly hard to do. And even for me, it's surprisingly hard to do. Sometimes I check the markets because it's on my phone. I probably should delete that app. And I get this ugly feeling inside for a split second when the markets are down, you know, five or 6%. I'm not immune to that sort of emotional feeling. I'm not immune to behavioral problems when it comes to investing. But then I always extend the time horizon because I've been an investor for over 12 years and everything starts to make sense again. So zoom out when you have any trouble, zoom out, have a look at the global picture, have a look at the overall picture and make sure that you don't muck around with your investments because longevity and long-term is the key. Number six is don't put your eggs in one basket. What people know about my investment is, you know, I'm a big ASX index investor. I've been quite open about it through Vanguard, but I also have super and that's got diversified investments locally and internationally. I also have property. I also have cash. I also have bonds and cash assets in my super portfolio as well. Diversification is probably the only free lunch that you're going to get investing. Again, I cannot stress this enough. In Australia, we have this religion called property, which is fine. Invest in property. That's completely fine. But make sure you have other investments outside of that because it can really lead you into financial messes if you buy the wrong property. Now, that just about covers everything about recessions and some of the causes and what the definitions are and how you can protect yourself during a recession or how you can protect yourself uh, in preparation for a recession. And again, I'm recording this in October 2022. So by the time this airs, I think it's going to be January sometime. And it'll be interesting to see if Australia enters into a recession. But do I really care because I got my fundamentals right? I've got a relatively secure income source or multiple income sources. I've got a foundation of investments to rely on. I've got a steady steady stream of dividend income that I'm reinvesting. Um, No, I'm not worried about it. Of course, if you're in a job that is highly vulnerable to volatility or recessions, then I think it's really important that you diversify that income source because don't put all your eggs in one basket because you need to make sure that you have diversified income sources, which may mean that 
You may need to upskill. You may need to train. If you're a if you're a healthcare worker or anyone, you may need to do other courses so you can start learning things outside of your circle of competence and expand that circle of competence as much as you possibly can. So in summary, we've covered the following. What is a recession compared to a depression? What is a business cycle, the four stages? Examples of past recessions. We discussed the triggers for a recession, but in reality, they're all triggers and often happen one after another, and it's a domino effect. And how you can protect yourself during a recession by following some simple rules. One of the biggest rules is don't do anything stupid and stay invested and contribute to your investments during downtimes, provided you have a stable income. That's about it for this episode. Remember to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you may be using, or leave a five-star rating on all of the platforms, that's even better. And please leave a positive review. And on that note, here's a review I found from Pensta73, who says, informative and easy to listen to. I'm on a journey to increase my financial literacy and your podcast is a godsend. So well explained. I'm working my way through them all. Thank you very much. This is life-changing for me. The knowledge I'm gaining and love, it's tailored to my field of healthcare. That's from Pensta73 from Apple Podcasts. Thank you very much for the wonderful, wonderful feedback, um, Penster. Please spread the episodes and channel around. Uh, shout out to some of the people I recently met at the 2022 RACMA conference in Hobart. It was a great conference. I loved it. Uh, I did my medical school in Hobart. It was really nice to be back in the city where I spent six years of my life in undergraduate medicine. Shout out to all the um, alumni of uh, University of Tasmania School of Medicine. Uh, the interesting thing that I found when I was there in Hobart was I walked all over the city during my five days of conference. And um, it was actually a very pretty city and lots of history, lots of little nuggets on the side streets near Battery Point, down Salamanca, Sandy Bay. Uh, I walked all the way from the conference, which where I stayed was Grand Chancellor, all the way to Sandy Bay and uh, looked at the University of Tasmania campus uh, and also walked up that little hill to um, what used to be, I think, well, now it's still called Christ College, I think, and then the old medical school, which was um, in Sandy Bay. Now the new medical school is in, is in downtown uh, Hobart, um, but it was really, really nice. And one of the really, really sad and disappointing things that I noticed, and, and I kind of knew this because I've been to Hobart before, was my previous apartment that I've stayed in the city, which was across the uh, uh, road from the clinical school. It's been demolished. And the University of Tasmania Research Centre has been built on that site. Uh, I remember uh, during my three or four years of staying there, I paid $150 per week rent in Hobart back in the day, which I thought was a bit of a bargain. I don't think you'd be able to get that anymore. It was a nice one-bedroom apartment. Um, so shout out to Hobart. Thank you very much for those six years. I really love it. Uh, really nice to be back in my city of medical school. Now, just another thing that I wanted to let everyone know, um, I know this this channel has been called My Millennial Money Medical for 2022. That may change um, because the reason that may change is because we are getting a lot of people that are non-healthcare workers listening in. And yes, I started this uh, primarily for healthcare workers and started it for my family back in the day four years ago. Never in my wildest imaginational dreams did I ever think that anyone would actually pay attention to what I say. And it turns out a lot of accountants, a lot of lawyers, a lot of other professionals, engineers, contractors, a lot of tradespeople now, um, electricians, shout out to the guy that uh, contacted me recently, you know, carpenters, builders. Um, we're getting a lot of professionals and vocational specialists and, and other professions that are simply tuning in. So, thinking about changing the title of the channel and 
maybe we'll just incorporate all of the professional world in terms of uh, this particular channel and take that word medical out because a couple of times I've had people contact me asking me, oh, do I need to be a doctor to you know, be part of the My Millennial Money medical community? And not really because money doesn't have professions. Um, the concepts are the same. The principles are the same. Recession is a recession. It's the same whether you're a doctor, a nurse or a carpenter, doesn't really matter. So I want to be able to expand this podcast and be able to help people in professions outside of the healthcare um, sector. Now, in terms of the quality of content, in terms of the healthcare examples, in terms of, you know, weekly episodes, in terms of the style of presentation, in terms of guests, nothing is going to change. It's just going to change the title. And I just wanted to give everyone a heads up so that you're not surprised by it. So we're going to expand. We're going to expand this channel to anyone and everyone that wants to learn about money, finances, investing, debt, etc., etc. So on that note, this is Dev Raga from My Millennium Money Medical, perhaps for one of the last times. And until next time, please make sure you stay safe. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast and Glenn James are authorised representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services licence 451289. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.